Good morning, Al Bat. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well. I I listened to that uh, grit song, saying it's the <laughs> the bestest food there is. Right. Uh, you know, I've eaten grits a lot of times, and you know, it's it's good. I don't mind it, but boy, bestest? I don't <laughs> think so. It's I've eaten it. Uh, people always say, "How do you eat?" It? I eat it with you know either butter and sugar on it, or maybe cheese and bacon on it. I think I've even put a little milk on it on occasion, just kind of. I think maple syrup. Add a lot of maple syrup, and then it's good too. That sounds good. I've never tried that. Yeah. 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 Um, the first time I ate it, they gave me the grits, and I, I had no clue what it was. I was down south, and. I had to just sit and wait till somebody else ate their grits to see what they did with it. And I believe at that time they put maybe butter and sugar on it. And it, it's good. It's I, never, I you feel like it's never really caught on in the north, though. It's really, truly is a southern thing because I don't know anybody or even on any menus where it says grits in the north hardly. Cracker barrel. Oh, there you go. Okay. So they, they uh, you get it with your breakfast there. We have. I don't know if we have more than one Cracker Barrel in the state. It's right off I-35 in the mm-hmm. metro area, South Metro, and it's uh, they're noted for their breakfast and their old signs hanging on the wall. And uh, so it's a, it, I, again, I like grits, and it, but it's not the bestest food there is. I think they were <laughs> they were just funning with us there. Um, last week, somebody asked where and when would I be speaking around Mankato. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm going to be on the Pelican Breeze. That's on Albert Lee Lake on June 25th, this coming Sunday, I guess that is already. Uh, July 30th, August 27th, and September 10th. And if anybody would like to book a seat, uh, it's a 507 number, but 383-7273, or you can go to pelicanbreeze.org, and I'll be at the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah on August 19th in lovely Henderson, who uh, we hope will have all the roads open so everybody can get there. It's always, uh, Henderson is one of those places that what would it... What would the world spring be like if Henderson didn't have road closures? It's just one of those things that happens. And then I'll be at Farming of Yesteryear in beautiful Keister, Minnesota, on September 9th. And it's uh, if you're into old tractors and uh, blacksmithing and all those kind of things, old house, old church, old school, of course, a lot of wonderful things there. And it's just outside Keister, Minnesota. Uh, speaking was an honor and a pleasure for me to speak at the 100th anniversary celebration of the Audubon Society of Greater Cleveland. Oh. Uh, great birds, great people, and great work. And as the song goes, uh, round on the end and high in the middle. So that's what Ohio is. <laughs> uh, goldfinches, I'm just looking at some, you know, they're more vibrant than lemon drops. And earlier I spotted a crow on a low-hanging branch, and it was a young crow, had these lovely blue eyes, and each crow in the murder had a cow. They had a crow cow, and they let me know what they thought about me messing with their beloved fledgling, although I wasn't doing anything but just walking by. Uh, Crows also, crows and ravens and uh, some other birds too, will have colorful mouths so when young crows open their mouths it's pretty red or reddish inside so that uh, just means uh, you know feed me 
Oh. <laughs> uh, heard, heard from Micah. He said, a chirping caught my attention in many opas. As I looked up, from my angle, it looked like a rosebreast grosbeak because I was able to get a different view. I noticed it had a blizzard white chest, thus eliminating the grosbeak. Its head was a jet black along with its beak. It almost looked like he was a, had a little tough or maybe a flat top. On his side or maybe his wings, it looked tan, brown, or orangish in color. He sat there doing his song and wasn't flying away. I thought he was friendly. Then he hopped on the ground behind some bushes and worked his way towards me. What a friendly little fella. Then I noticed two babies on the ground in the bushes. They must have blown out of the nest as it was a windy day. I let them be and went on my way. It was an eastern towhee. Always an awesome feeling seeing a first, especially in my own neighborhood. And he mentioned a wolverine last month and or last week, and I, I said I hadn't heard about one being spotted. And Micah said the wolverine was spotted in California. I think it was only the second one spotted in 100 years in California. The spotted toy, if some of you have a, a field guide that has some hair on it, it's been around for a while, <laughs> it will show it as a rufous-sided toy. And I, they're one of my favorites. I had a dog named Toey. Uh, they sing uh, Drink Your Tea or Say Toey. <laughs> and it's, uh, they usually their nest site is usually on the ground, Micah. So they could have uh, hashed out on the ground. It's under a shrub or in low bushes, usually less than five feet above the ground. So they will go up a little ways, but not much. The nest is built by the female. It's just kind of an open cup of, like most bird nests, I guess, songbirds, an open cup of grass and twigs and rootlets and bark. And um, they'll sometimes put animal hair in there, too. So they are... Uh, they're beautiful birds. Uh, I just love seeing them. I had one in my yard this year again, so I get them just passing through here. But I'm always happy. They are just just one of those. When I was a kid, I called them ground robins for no apparent reason. <laughs> I, I don't know why that was. And I think I read something. Uh, somebody was writing in that they'd seen a, found a toy nest. 12 feet high, which they, they thought was pretty high for one, and I, I guess it is, but very often they're on the ground or close to it. Uh, Dick Musing of St. Peter said, enjoy your show. Uh, jelly feeder from standard 1x4 lumber with sides of suet cake feeder trimmed to fit between the sides I had on the deck table. Orioles and catbirds used the feeder, never a hummingbird. Thanks, Dick. Great to hear from you. Kathy Paulson of Geneva said, We have been experiencing problems with some of our wildlife critters. When Daryl, Daryl, her husband, first put my uh, form, flower boxes outside to spring, the squirrels, we believe, went in and chewed off some of the geraniums and other flowers that had been in them all winter here in the house and even uprooted the new geraniums that we had put in there. Now we have noticed that the tops of a majority of hostas that I have planted outside our family room windows for years have been eaten off. Neither one of these things had happened before. I have even had a young squirrel come and start chewing several different times to the area below our patio door on the east side of the house. What has changed? I don't remember having a problem with these things before. Would the deer chew off the tops of hostas? They've been a great number of them. 
So I don't think that it would have been the squirrels to do that large amount of damage. I can see the majority of the area during the day where the hostas are, where I'm sitting at my table by the computers. Is there anything we can do to stop this from continuing to happen? There did buy a spray bottle of something that is supposed to distract the squirrels, and I think it did help the flowers in my flower boxes. Um, yeah, Kathy, boy, hostas, deer seem to really enjoy hostas. So it is... A, I've had squirrels dig up bulbs. Squirrels, uh, squirrels, if they see where the ground has been worked, where somebody's been digging, I think their little their squirrel brain tells them because they're thinking about food. Somebody has buried something there that's edible. So they've buried acorns or walnuts or who knows what they buried, but they've buried something there. And I'm going to dig it up and see what it is. And sometimes they find things that are edible. Sometimes they get, dig it up and they say, well, why did anybody bury this thing? And they just go away. They do not put the bulbs back and cover them up. That's the problem with squirrels. As far as the hostas and things, there are various sprays, and I've heard from a lot of people who have had some luck with those. The problem is if it rains or if we have a heavy dew, you need to reapply that spray. Uh, otherwise, they'll come back and eat it. And like so many animals, once they become used to eating, they'll come back. If they've had good luck with the food, they like the food there. It's like our cafe. We like the food there. We're going <laughs> to keep going back. So they will keep going back. Why has it changed? Oh, Kathy, I don't know. you got new deer. You have new squirrels, maybe. They want to explore different areas. Uh, they've been chased out of the area they were in. Um, there's been some sort of landscape change in the area where they were hanging out. Who knows what's going on? Or maybe it's just been um, a great number of young squirrels. Uh, young squirrels are adventurous, and they're going to go places where we don't want them to go. Well, all I can say is good luck. Let me know if that spray works. Paul Gotlin of Kenyon said, I saw my first fireflies here on June 13th, and he was uh, very happy to see them. I know I mentioned last week somebody asked what they eat. The firefly, firefly larvae are carnivorous, and they eat soft-bodied insects that live on or near the ground, like snails, slugs, worms, and other larvae. Uh, the adults, uh, nectar and pollen, some eat nothing at all. Uh, some eat other fireflies, so we oh. have a number of species of different fireflies, and we have these that'll flash like the fireflies flashing. So the the one firefly will say, "Well, there, I have a hot date," <laughs> so he flies down, and then he's eaten by oh. the other fireflies. So hey, you know things what, don't always work out. I was talking earlier about wanting to know the um, luminescence or whatever it's called on fireflies. I was driving back from the lake last night and one of the, there's a lot of fireflies out now, I noticed, and one of them hit my windshield and all of a sudden there was this little glow for a little bit. So of course I turned on my windshield wiper seeing, you know, <laughs> wipe it away and I got like a little streak of, of light just for a little bit. So what is the stuff that they have that makes them luminous or whatever the right word is for that yeah bioluminescent oh. is what it's called with fireflies and it's oh i know i'm going to get this wrong it's oxygen combines with calcium mm. luciferin maybe uh, i can spell it in my mind i think l-u-c-i-f-e-r-i-n and then there's one other one 
and I don't know what that is. I have no clue what it is, but it's those three items combined with this one other thing, and that produces light. Well, and, uh, it, I notice when a, they're out there, they they blink and they send messages, and the, but after you put them in a jar, it's like for a little while they're light, and then they just quit doing their lighting. So what's going on, and why do they remain light, like just for a little bit on your windshield then that you get that little... Yeah, because you hit them right when they're lit up, I think. And uh, so the light was turned on, (laughs) and it just takes a while for that battery to go dead in that. So I've seen that on windshields, too. You're driving along, (laughs) and you think, how? It's like when that ladybug's hanging onto your windshield. You say, how long can he hang on there? Well, I found they'll hang on to pretty much all the way to the Twin Cities. But it'll just burn for so long, and then it just runs out of fuel. But I... Yeah, I used to take them and put them in jars, which every kid did. I'd put some grass and things in there and for them to crawl around, and then they seemed to, oh. they would light up more, because okay. otherwise I think they're in there and they're saying, this this isn't right. You know, <laughs> I, I like being in the tall grass, and it's it was wet out there, and all of a sudden, I mean, this thing was nothing but windows, and I'm not, I don't feel like lighting up anymore. Well, and, uh, when when you put them in the jar, do you need to poke holes in the top? Because that was the thing, whenever you caught a bug or something, you'd always have to poke holes in the top to make sure they had air. Is that kind of a, a necessity? Yeah, it sure was. I had a whole room full of jar lids <laughs> with holes poked in them, so I was forever... Uh, I remember uh, oh, borrowing one of my grandma's, one of those canning jars, and poking a hole in the top of that. I don't know if it was mason or what it was, but that was the wrong thing to do, I found out, because those were, those were sacred jars where you needed to save the jars and the jar lids because you used them over and over and over again until that seal was gone on the lid, and then you could probably poke holes in it. But otherwise, uh, I, I learned a lesson, got uh, reprimanded, I guess, verbally was <laughs> oh, what dear. it was. Uh, a listener said, "How I see baby rabbit in the yard. How do I know if it's been abandoned? It, these would be baby cottontail rabbits, and they leave the nest when they're around three weeks old. And if you look at a chipmunk, they're about the size of a chipmunk, five inches long. That's a chipmunk minus its tail. So if they're about that size, and if you find one that size that is fully furred with eyes open, ears erect, and the ability to hop, that's an independent bunny rabbit right there. So he's going to be okay. We don't need to to help him in any way. And I know we just, oh, they're so cute. And you say nothing that cute and little can be on his own. You know, something's happened to his mom because something's always happening to rabbits. They are a, a food source for, for many, many predators. But... Uh, <clears throat> Best thing is just to leave them alone. They're going to be all right, and uh, that's how life is. Not all of them make it to adulthood. Uh, we always, we always hope they all make it to adulthood till they start eating all our garden plants. <laughs> right. And then we say, I wish they hadn't all made it to adulthood. But uh, I'm not one that's going to go out there and pick them out. And you might get this as a, I bet you do as a master gardener. Somebody said, Am I seeing dames rocket or flocks? And Dame's Rocket is, its I think it's an Eurasian biennial, and it was introduced in North America 
Oh, you know, in like the 1600s or something, and it's it's often included in wildflower seed mixes. We always have mm. to be careful with those wildflower seed mixes because some outfits just don't care what they put in there, and they, so we end up with all kinds of strange things here. The plant it blooms for a long time, uh, like a three month long May August blooming period, has these loose clusters of attractive. They're they're beautiful, fragrant. They're pinkish to purple to white sometimes, mm-hmm. and they have four petaled flowers. I don't know what they go, maybe four foot tall at and least. Dame's, yeah. yeah, Dame's Rocket is confused with Phlox, but Phlox has flowers with five petals so p-h-l-o-x five they have five petals dame's rocket has four and dame's rocket is a a beautiful invasive Uh, it's just lovely and i'm sure people we dig them up probably and put them in our gardens (laughs) and things and uh, so but al when i when we first got the lake house a number of years back there was beautiful flocks everywhere. I was like, oh, man, look how many flocks there are. They were everywhere. And then I learned that they were Dame's Rocket and that they were invasive. So I handpicked all oh. of them. And it was really hard because they were so pretty. But um, I eventually got rid of most of them. And then what happened was I had a part on the hillside, the steep hillside, that um, I had disturbed because I was doing some other things. And I must have disturbed all the seeds because this year I had a bumper crop in that area oh. of the Dames Rockets. So, so yeah, but they do look like flocks, and they're, they're, they're a lot earlier than your regular flocks, and that's what I learned how a big way to tell the difference. But they are so pretty, and that's like a lot of things. Like people thought buckthorn was a pretty um, shrub, and it was introduced as a... Uh, in the marketplace and and same with porcelain berry and other things that we thought they were so pretty or even the the burning bush now beautiful landscape plant but then they find out that they're not so beautiful when they start uh, killing everything else off that's right and uh, one of the as you mentioned early is one of the things so when the first when our mind tells us that's the first flocks we've seen blooming this year it's going to be dame's rocket so but it's it's tough when they're so beautiful and, and buckthorn. You know, people planted it because it was hardy. It was hard to destroy buckthorn, yes. <laughs> get rid of it. It just so here you you put this plant out and you say, boy, there's one plant. I do not have to worry about it's going to do all right. <laughs> and, and it did. Uh, it has it has done all right and then some. So yeah. it's uh, it, it. But yeah, I like Dame's rockets. You know, I have to say that to, to see it. I just, I'd rather have flocks, I guess, uh, is the thing. Uh, A listener says, you were talking about turtle eggs hatching. What percentage of turtle eggs hatch? Well, I looked up some studies. In northern New York, they did a study. Raccoons destroyed 94% of all snapping turtle nests. And that was in just one turtle nesting study. There was a six-year study on the reproductive and nesting ecology of snapping turtles in southeastern Michigan. Predation rates averaged 70%, which is that's pretty good. The majority of the nests were devoured by raccoons within 24 hours of egg deposition. In Ontario, raccoons and coyotes were observed following the tracks of early emerging hatchlings back to their nests and consuming the eggs and young remaining in the nest cavity. Uh, Predators may smell their way to nests. They're guided by the scent of that embryonic fluid or maybe a rotten egg. We all know how good those smell. 
I did a breeding bird survey last week. It's in uh, Freeborn, Mauer, and Steele counties. I stop at 50 sites, and I count everything that I can see or listen are here in three minutes. So I got an egg timer, a three-minute egg thing. I flop it over. I'm always just starting to hear really great things when that last little bit of sand falls down, and then I have to stop listening, And even though I want to. It, I saw more snapping turtles, I think, than fireflies during my breeding birds, uh, than uh, mosquitoes during this. More snapping turtles than mosquitoes, because the snapping turtles were out going across gravel roads and laying their eggs on the roadsides. And uh, big snappers, it takes them a long time to reach, uh, I suppose they're seven, eight years old probably when they start laying eggs. So who's the biggest predator out there when you're a snapping turtle that big? It's us and our vehicles. There isn't much else going to mess with a snapping turtle. But it was, uh, I watched one as she's digging the hole and laying her eggs. So it was uh, pretty neat seeing them. Uh, I just, I wished her the best. I said, good luck to you, and drove on down the road because my three minutes were up. So I, I think I heard and saw all the birds there. It's hard sometimes to hear everything when you're concentrating on watching a snapping turtle lay her eggs. But you it know, was when you're doing that, Al. Do you wait a while till they settle down so they're used to you being there? So I mean, otherwise, I could see that you would maybe alarm them or something so they wouldn't chirp. So do you just kind of wait and get let them adjust to be you being there first? Um. I suppose a little bit because I shut the car and I get out and I flop over my three-minute timer and I get my binoculars up and <laughs> and then I flop over the timer. So, yeah, it's probably a couple minutes when I pull in there by the time you get everything ready. So it uh, it was great. Uh, it, I think a lot of people would probably say, I bet I know what your number one bird was. And I've been doing this for 30-some years. The same bird has been the number one bird on every breeding bird survey I've done in that area, and it's been the red-winged blackbird. Oh. Most year, the common grackle was the second one, but this year, uh, the house sparrow, the European starling, and the American robin were all ahead of the grackle. I didn't see, most years I'm out there and I see huge numbers of young grackles. This year I didn't see them. I don't know why, if they were earlier or they were later or what happened there, but I didn't see many. But red-winged blackbirds uh, by far have been the number one bird I've seen there. And I like red-winged blackbirds. And part of the reason is those males are so vociferous that I can hear them calling. So I know that there's a uh, red-winged blackbird over there. And if they... They want to make sure I hear them, so they sing, look at me, look at me, over and over again. I had a lot of common yellow throats, a warbler that sings, uh, follow me, follow me, wait up, wait up. So it was nice hearing them. I did not see a bald eagle. I did not see a trumpeter swan. I had sandhill cranes. I had an orchard oriole. I had a a willow flycatcher, which was, um, I don't know if it's rarest, but the one I I see the less 
of any of the birds I had on my count. So, and I had a great horned owl in the count and a great horned owl outside the count. So the one didn't count, but I don't usually get a great horned owl, but one, both of them were on the middle of the roads. I start at 5.02 in the morning. So I see, see some of the night critters that are still out there. I saw fewer deer than I've seen for a long time. Um, Heard a lot of uh, rooster pheasant growing. So it was a great, great count. So, Al, I've got a couple of folks who texted that I'd like to share with you on the air right sure. now, if that's okay. So our friend John in New Alm said he's heard something. He heard something, so he looked out the window and he saw one or two Baltimore, Baltimore Orioles trying to get rid of a crow in a tree while a young rabbit was frozen in fear on the ground, and then the crow flew away. He said, from a real <laughs> bird brain, for KMSU, John reporting live from New Alm. Thank you, John. And then he said the final score was Rabbit and Orioles 1, Crow 0. This has been a news update. Okay, thank you, John. Appreciate that update. And then our friend Jennifer says, Hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about birds eating my dang mulberries. We just moved into a new house, and there are several fruiting trees, which I've determined with some degree of certainty to be mulberry trees. The berries at the top of one of the trees are ripe and our backyard feathered friends have lost their dang minds out there (sighs) chirping and flapping and fighting all the dang time. There are enough berries to share, but I would like to use some for jam or something. I'm assuming that the birds are getting their spit and poop all over everything. Wait, do birds make spit? And then she has, I says, I'll wash the berries, of course, but are there any zoonotic diseases I should worry about that can be transmitted between birds and humans? Is there a certain way I should wash the berries just in case? There was a dead bird in at the front of one of the trees the other day, and but I'm assuming that another animal got him, seeing as how he didn't have a head. <laughs> hoping, uh, yeah. hoping that's not a side effect thing of eating the berries. Thank you, Jennifer. P.S. I'll stop writing in. I guess the berries were not mulberries after all. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Oh gosh, I I have a lot of mulberries. A friend by the name of Les Schrader gifted us with a bunch of them. He was from Alden, Minnesota, a teacher. So if you have a couple mulberries, folks, you're going to have more mulberry trees than that. Uh, I walk my mine every day. The robins are in there just in their glory eating all these. And, and Jennifer, by the way, thanks for writing on this. Um, they just, oh man, they just, they're woofing them down. They don't pay much attention to me because I'm eating some of them. Uh, cardinals will eat some, catbirds will eat some, crows, blue jays, Baltimore orioles uh, get south of us a little ways. Mockingbirds love them. Uh, mammals, foxes, raccoons, possums, skunks, squirrels eat them. Uh, people that have uh, live on farms sometimes say pigs just love them. And I do too. I eat them raw just as they come from the tree. Uh, a lot of people make them into jam or jelly. People uh, make wine out of mulberries. I, I wash them a little bit and then uh, I don't worry about anything I'm getting. I, I put them on my oatmeal in the morning, and you can never get that little stem off. <laughs> you know, I suppose you could if you go through and pull everyone. I just eat that little stem, too. It's nice and soft. Roughage. And yeah, and I like mulberries a lot. 
Uh, birds do eat them, and they run through their system, so sometimes you will get a, a kind of a bluing to your sidewalk or so. Uh, flickers will go in there and eat them. I see great crested flycatchers, which are flycatchers, but they're in there eating them and just enjoying them to no end. So I like the mulberries. I just like having them around. I see woodchucks up in the mulberry trees, and they're eating the leaves mainly. They just uh, apparently love the leaves. Maybe they taste a little bit like the berries. So it's a, a great tree. I don't know. these. Maybe they get 40 feet tall, maybe. They're usually 20 Feet, maybe up to 30 feet so it's not a huge tree and uh, they just I, I like having them around and they're they're good eating so thanks for asking on that Jennifer <clears throat> well that's Other all the notes book? I have right now to um, Al so uh, you know next week hopefully we won't have the phone problems we want to apologize for that and thank you Al for right. for hanging out a little longer with us to make up for that uh, phone time in the words of my people, no worries. That's oh, what we say pretty much to anything. Uh, thanks for everybody sitting on the front porch with us. You know, the other day the road was a little rough. I bet some of you noticed that. But round tires would have cost me more, so I just went with the tires. You bounce around a little bit. And I pulled into a parking lot with each space brightly corralled by those yellow stripes. We've all been there. And I parked in a crooked manner. Yeah, maybe you've done that. You get in there and say, well, I'm kind of park cockeyed here. So I backed up and straightened the car. I'm not sure why I want my parking to be near perfect. Who I park next to usually doesn't concern themselves with that. And why do I don't know? I can't even put my hat on straight. Why do I care how my car is parked? But I got it parked right perfectly between those yellow lines. I got out of my car. And I walked into the clinic. I had my annual physical. It's like a yearly oil change. Doctors are mystifying people, folks. Mine get younger each and every year. I don't know how that works. <laughs> but life was good. I had the blood tests and everything. And what could I be missing in my splendid existence? Well, the doctor came up with something. A hernia. It was better than eating pickled squirrel elbows, but it was still a hernia. And I heard the doctor thinking, I bet some of you have been able to do that. You can hear what they're thinking. They're not saying anything, but you can hear them. She's thinking just because you were suckered into buying the Golden Gate Bridge doesn't mean you should try to lift it. I need surgery. It, it's a dented fender is all it is. Prospects for a soft landing are excellent. So it's see your doctor once a year, especially if you think you might have a hernia. I didn't think I had a hernia. I was sure I had one. So it's you go through that physical, and then you get to that last question. Is there anything that concerns you, and you bring that up? And I think it's the first time I've ever been right on anything. Remember, folks, Heartland as well, we're driving past. Thanks for listening. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And thank you, Karen. May your phone problems be over. <laughs> hey, Alan, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to say wish you an early happy summer. Tomorrow is the official first day of summer, so um, happy for last day of spring, I guess. Everybody go out there and eat some grits in the honor <laughs> of summer, I think. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Al. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.